0: Hey, thanks for joining us at Connection Point Church. You know, we would love for you to stay connected and a simple way for you to do that is to subscribe so that each week you can get notified when new content goes live. We'd also love to keep in touch with you throughout the week, and the best way to do this is through our Connection Point Facebook page. Now, with all that being said, let's go to this week's message with our lead pastor, Zach Maddox. Uh, One of the things that we like to do uh, at Christmas time at Connection Point is as a reading of the Christmas story. And, and we like to do that to annually be reminded of what it is that we're celebrating this time of year. It's something very specific and it's, it's something that really matters, it's important. And, and what I wanted to do this year before we read the Christmas story, which, which we will do, is I just wanted to take a look at and give some further background for us to consider. I think sometimes we become so familiar with the Christmas story it can kind of lose the significance it's meant to have in our lives. And I think sometimes we forget that there was a 2,000-year lead-up to the baby born in Bethlehem. There was this anticipation of someone who would come and set things right. And it had been a long time coming. And so what I want to do is just take a look this morning briefly at, at some of that anticipation and what it is that it means for Jesus israel's messiah to have come it means some really important things for us and the first thing we find is we examine the old testament because that's where we really look for this is we find that the coming of jesus the messiah it meant the destruction of satan and the deliverance of mankind how many think that's a good thing that's huge so that's what they were anticipating all the way back we find that the messiah is going to come and bruise the head of satan Reading from Genesis chapter three, verses 14 and 15. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. All the way back at the very beginning, We're awaiting one who will come to set things right. The Messiah would come to destroy Satan and deliver men and women from his dominion. This is big stuff. Eve will suffer birth pangs and childbearing, but this pain will be eased by the knowledge that her offspring will also be the means of Satan's destruction. You ever thought about that? Like, yes, there'll be birth pain, but the pain is eased knowing my offspring will do the job. Motherhood has its painful price, but it also has this promise Eve's seed will prove to be Satan's destroyer. What a promise that was, right away. So when Adam and Eve's first son was born, there must have been great joy wondering if he would be the fulfillment of God's promise. I was thinking about this. You know, we've become so comfortable with the answer to that scripture, but you've got to think about Adam and Eve. They, from the moment that they had a son, were thinking, is this the one? Can you imagine that anticipation? But at the same time, with the birth of another son, they reason it could be either one of these, Cain or Abel. It could be the means of fulfilling God's promise. But imagine the horror when Cain kills his brother Abel. How could the seed of the woman save mankind when one is killing the other? Can you imagine the disappointment? The righteous son was dead. The other other son was a killer. What hope did they now have of being delivered from Satan's grip? You know they had to be wrestling with these things. But here's what happens. God, in his grace, he gave Adam and Eve another son, Seth. And he would carry the hope of the coming Messiah forward. No matter what was happening in the world, no matter what we find in the the biblical text, there was always God in his grace providing the hope the Messiah will still come. Isn't that awesome? That promise was always there, always there. A Messiah who would ultimately defeat sin, death, and the devil. And as we continue through the Old Testament, here's what we find. There's this further revelation as we go. And and here's what else we find, that the coming of Jesus, the Messiah, meant the nations would be blessed. That's part of the promise. So it's like we've got this promise in Genesis, but we keep going later in Genesis. And we find in chapter 22 that God will bless the nations through Abraham's seed. We find in verse 18, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Messianic hope must have risen high in Abraham's heart and in the heart of every godly Israelite As he or she read the promise that the messiah would come as part of abraham's offspring So it's like there's continued revelation and continued hope for this messiah to come And yet we also find as a part of that promise is that the nations will be blessed and they were blessed The nations were glad that infant jesus was born Because we find at the birth of jesus the nations show up And have you ever wondered, I talked a little bit about this last year. How did the wise men know to come and worship this newborn king? How did they know to even be looking for him? What scholars look at is they understand that when the the Israelites went off into exile to Persia, because we understand that these wise men came from that part of the region, that they read Daniel's writings. And here's what Daniel had to write. So think about the wise men as they're coming. They've been waiting hundreds of years. For this promise, he says, Daniel writes, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to be the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed." These Persian wise men knew this scripture. Why? Because Daniel was there. And for 500 years, they were awaiting its fulfillment. And the nations are glad because this king was coming that all nations would worship and his eternal kingdom would be without end. The coming of Jesus, the Messiah, meant the nations would be blessed. And guess what? We're a fruit of that blessing, right? We're the nations, And we're blessed because of his coming. And we also find that the coming of Jesus the Messiah meant Israel's coming king had arrived. They had been waiting, but now he was here. We find in the Psalms a foretelling of the arrival of the Messiah. Psalm 2, it speaks of the Messiah as the one whom God would install as his king over Israel. Look at all these promises because this is the anticipation. This was the 2,000 year fervor that people were in. The Messiah would be given the nations as his inheritance, and he would rule over those who seek to oppose him. So the nations were urged to worship God now or face the wrath of this coming king. In Psalm 22, we find a suffering Messiah. It begins with the words Jesus quoted on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Did you know Jesus was quoting a psalm? And what this does is it identifies the Savior as the one who faced the sufferings described in this psalm. So we know that Jesus was the one. Psalm 45 is written for the celebration of the king's marriage. It focuses on the splendor and majesty of the coming king and upon the fact that his throne is eternal. Psalm 72 depicts the reign of the righteous king of Israel who judges the people with righteousness and justice, who vindicates the afflicted. They were waiting for this. He was the one who will answer the cries of the afflicted and will bring them deliverance. Psalm 110 speaks of the installation of the Messiah at the right hand of God who will rule over his enemies. Not only is he to rule as king, but he's also the eternal priest. He will come to the earth to right all wrongs. We find Elijah, Elisha, and Jonah. In their person and work, they anticipated the coming of the Messiah. Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Micah, they speak of the Messiah who will finally and fully deliver the people of Israel and restore them after their judgment and exile. Zechariah speaks of a king coming, uh, king mounted on a donkey. Malachi, of one like Elijah, who's going to announce his arrival. Throughout the Old Testament, we collectively find that the Messiah will be of the Davidic line. Virgin born in the city of Bethlehem, introduced by a prophet like Elijah, and presented to his people riding as a foal on a donkey. Faithful Jews in the first century. Think about this. So now 2,000 years they've been waiting. And faithful Jews in the first century, oppressed by the Roman Empire, were waiting for the one who would deliver them and restore God's eternal kingdom. They were ready for it. They were anticipating it. They were hopeful that he would come in their day. There were signs of it. They were ready for their king to come. And what would this ultimately mean? The coming of Jesus the Messiah meant we could have lasting hope. It meant the people of Israel, and meant all those who put their faith in him can have eternal hope. All throughout the Old Testament, we see the rise and fall of messianic hopes. You keep reading about it. From a human point of view, it often looked as if Israel's messianic hopes would be dashed. Who is going to fulfill this? But yet we find the faithfulness of God results in ongoing revelation of who the Messiah is. People were constantly being renewed with hope that this day would finally come. And what does Jesus even share? He says, your father Abraham, while talking to some Pharisees, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. Isn't that awesome that Abraham had the faith to see the day that Jesus would come? Because there was always this anticipation that the Messiah would arrive. He saw it. And for those who were fortunate enough to be living at the time of the Messiah's advent, the Messianic prophecies enabled them to recognize Jesus as the Messiah. In other words, they already knew the signs they were looking for and they found it in Jesus. Some of the prophecies concerning Messiah, such as his virgin birth, being born in Bethlehem, they would help the true believer to recognize infant Jesus as the Messiah, even in spite of conditions they might have thought contradictory. I mean, who would have thought the Messiah would be born in a manger? Conditions of poverty, but yet that's what God did. These messianic prophecies would enable those who were led to infant Jesus to worship him in the way that they should. Think about this. Why would shepherds and wise men worship a baby? Here's why. Because they knew the worth and the work of the Messiah as revealed in Old Testament Messianic prophecies. That was the basis of their worship for this babe in a manger. It wasn't what he had done, but what they knew he was going to do. And that is why they worshiped. Because they already knew it. They knew when this one arrived, here's what's going to happen. And that was worthy of worship. It's not difficult for shepherds and wise men to adore a babe in a manger when they're bowing in reverence to a holy and righteous king who will reign in righteousness and justice. That's why they worshiped. This is who the Christ child is. He was worshiped because of his hope-filled coming they had been anticipating and all that this was going to mean for Israel and all the nations. And can I tell you, he's coming again. Have we considered that this morning? And the reason we know, he's already made the down payment because he was already here. And Jesus is ever coming into our lives. That's part of what we worship this Advent season. We know that Jesus has come, that he continues to come into our lives in ever increasing ways. And that is why he's worthy of his worship because of his promises of what that means for us. We are ever being liberated from those things that would keep us down. We are ever having light shown into dark places in our lives and the lives of those around us. And that's what we worship. That's what we celebrate. As we read the Christmas story, let's consider that today. Yes. Let's consider that Jesus has come. He is coming still. And He's going to come in fullness one day. Yes. The Advent, as we study and look at Christmas and His coming, is we find that hope has a name. And His name is Jesus. Yes. And it's with this background I want us to listen to the Christmas story this year that hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. A child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest upon his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. I love this. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. God, he sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, "'Greetings, favored one. "'The Lord is with you.' "'Confused and disturbed, "'Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. "'Don't be frightened, Mary,' the angel told her. "'God has chosen to bless you. "'You will become pregnant and have a son, "'and you're to name him Jesus. "'He will be very great "'and will be called the Son of the Most High.' "'But Mary asked the angel, "'How can I have a baby?' I am a virgin. The angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby born to you will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. While Mary was still a virgin, she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her fiancé, being a just man, decided to break the engagement quietly so as not to disgrace her publicly. As he considered this, he fell asleep, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, "'Don't be afraid to go ahead with your marriage to Mary, for the child in her has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus.' For he will save his people from their sins. All of this happened to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Behold, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. He will be called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. This prophecy from Isaiah 714 was given 700 years before Jesus was born. Joseph woke up. He did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He brought Mary home to be his wife, but she remained a virgin until her son was born. And at that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. All returned to their own towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled from the village of Nazareth in Galilee and took with him Mary, his wife, who was great with child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. That night, there were shepherds in the fields outside the village guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terribly frightened, but the angel reassured them, "'Don't be afraid,' he said. "'I bring you good news of a great joy for everyone, a Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born tonight in Bethlehem, the city of David. And this is how you will recognize him. You will find a baby lying in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes.'" suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host from heaven, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. The angels left, and the shepherds said to each other, Come, let us go to Bethlehem and see this wonderful thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they ran to the village, and they found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. The shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard their story were astonished. But Mary kept these things in her heart. The shepherds went back to their fields and flocks, glorifying and praising God. Jesus was born in the town of Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. And at the same time came wise men from the east to Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We've seen his star that arose and have come to worship him. Herod was deeply disturbed by their question, as was all of Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law. Where did the prophets say the Messiah will be born, he asked. In Bethlehem, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. O Bethlehem of Judea, you're not just a lowly village of Judah. For a ruler will come to you who will be the shepherd for my people, Israel. This prophecy is found in Micah 5 and verse 2. and 2 Samuel chapter 5 and verse 2, both were written 700 years before Jesus was born. So Herod sent a message to the wise men asking them to come to see him. At this meeting, he learned the exact time when they first saw the star. And then he told them, go to Bethlehem, search diligently for the child. And when you find him, come and tell me that I may go and worship him too. after this meeting, the wise men went on their way. And once again, the star appeared to them to guide them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house where the child and his mother were, and they fell down and they worshipped him. And they opened their treasure chest, and they gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But when it was time to leave, they went another way, Because God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. After the wise men were gone, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother. The angel said, stay there until I tell you to return because Herod will try and kill the child. That very night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, out of Egypt have I called my son. Herod was furious. When he learned the wise men had outwitted him, he sent soldiers to kill all the baby boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under because the wise men had told him that the star had first appeared to them about two years before. Then later, when Herod died, God's angel appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Get up, take the child and his mother and return to Israel. All those who wish to murder the child are dead. So Joseph obeyed. He arose and he took the child and his mother, and he re-entered Israel. When he heard, though, that Herod's son had taken over as king in Judea, he was afraid to go there. But then Joseph was directed in a dream to go to the hills of Galilee. On arriving, he settled in the village of Nazareth, Fulfilling the words of the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, so that whoever believes in him will never perish, but be given eternal life. And this is the story of Christmas.